constitution class. Aye. You're familiar with them? There's one in the Fleet Museum, but... But then, of course, this is your enterprise. I actually served on two. This was the first. She was also the first ship I ever served on as chief engineer. You know, I served aboard 11 ships, freighters, cruisers, starships, but this is the only one I think of, the only one I miss. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, digging up Kirk's bones from Viridian 3. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the weirdest, wildest, and wackiest returns of our favorite Star Trek characters. Uh, Cam... We want to kind of dish out the parameters of how we're going to be judging this as we go along the episode here. Um, this is fun because we've seen the return of so many of these kind of legacy characters. I mean, let, let's be honest. Well, why don't we kick it off with Spock in just a few minutes? Mm. But uh, he's returned many a multiple time. But like, I, I'm kind of wondering, like, like would, would you count something like the return of like somebody like James T. Kirk in like star trek 2009 as the triumphant return of a character or I, like I, i'm almost of the mind like we have to kind of be judging you know like what is like maybe the initial return of a character and like maybe a previous episode even if like okay let's say yeah, i'll just pull this out of thin air Worf has returned a few times um riker has returned a few times over the course of yeah. star trek you know like i like i have a tough time if like Kirk has been in, like, six movies in a row. Is it really the return of his character if we see him in Star Trek Generations? Yeah. Yeah, no, I felt the same way, and I felt like it It should be a significant gap yeah. in time. But also, maybe, like, you have to take circumstances into um, into consideration as well. Like, say, like, a character just just wanders off screen at the end of an episode and then shows up, like, a season later it's like that's not really a return it's not like it was a big deal like but if someone died and then came back a couple years later that's more of an event to me um so i took that into uh consideration but also like how do you feel about to me i was sticking pretty closely to it has to be the same actor okay okay um why don't we start to go through this and have arguments mm -hmm. and debates as we go through <laughs> this because i think that'd be more fun i i, I like I'll just say, like, when it comes to maybe the return of the Kelvinverse folks and maybe some of the Strange New World folks, like, I, like, I don't know. Like, like, okay, why don't we debate this as we go along? Let's start with, like, the original series cast because there's been a lot of those folks that ha have returned. And, yeah, you know, Spock's returned in, in, in multiple different ways. Like, <laughs> I don't know if like, the animated series... <laughs> Is the triumphant <laughs> return of uh, one Leonard Nimoy as Spock? You know, Captain. 
I see we have something. <laughs> yeah, it's very robotic. All the cast are like that. I could be imitating any of them with that <laughs> impression. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're a real James Doohan right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but like, what would you... Okay. For me, like, can we even consider the turn of like Spock to be, I don't know, like Unification Part 1 in TNG? Because... He's also appearing in all of these original series movies, even up until that year, 1991, when The Undiscovered Country would premiere the next month after Unification Part 1 and 2, Parts 1 and 2 aired, right? Like, is that a return of Spock to you? I struggled so much with this because in a way it is because in terms of the timelines of the shows you know movies into the shows that's a real time jump between when those original series movies are taking place and then he's showing up in unification to meet picard so in terms of like the life events of spock that's a pretty big chunk so i think it does count as a return uh, but it was something where i was like God, you know, you take into consideration also like Bones and McCoy showing up in the premiere encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but he did a movie the year before. It was The Voyage Home. It was a big hit. <laughs> so uh, this is why it's going to be fun to like dissect this. So, okay, let me ask you this. Uh, if you had like a top 10 list of the, the greatest returns of Star Trek legacy characters, would you put uh, McCoy in Encounter and Farpoint? <laughs> Add that top ten list. Number one, yes. Okay, okay. I, 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 okay. You're being you're being arch. No. Would you uh, no, potentially no, put I wouldn't. No. Uh, Leonard Nimoy's Spock in Unification Part One, like right at that cliffhanger? It, it, could that potentially? I'm not saying definitively, but could that potentially be a, a top ten for you? This is tough because I think I would say like yes in terms of like magnitude of having. You know, Picard encounter Spock, that cliffhanger. I think of like what that would have meant at that point in time watching TNG. It would have been absolutely mind blowing. I do think the impact of it is lost now when you have Leonard Nimoy showing up in the Kelvinverse films so much further down the road and really catching up with that character at a different point in his life. But like it took, you know, a decade plus to get that to happen to suddenly kind of remove some of the power of unification. But I have to imagine if you were watching unification at the time, even if you just watched, you know, one of the uh, TOS movies in the theater, this would still really pack a punch. So there was like a, what, a uh, 17 year gap, 18 year gap between that episode, <laughs> that two-parter and the, the 2009 movie. Don't yeah. you think now the 2009 movie packs such a bigger punch with re the return of Leonard Nimoy as Spock? It does. And I mean, I think it's because when you look at what Spock is doing in Unification, the you know reunion of Vulcan and Romulus is like an interesting thing to have happen in an episode. It's a really interesting diplomacy mission for Spock. But when you look at what he's doing in 2009, that is like passing the baton to a next generation and basically giving the salute and basically giving the have fun kind of, you know, attitude the way the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger did to The Rock at the start of the rundown. Sure. <laughs> like, hey, have a good time. It's your adventure now. There is like a real like power and weight to that. Whereas like, I don't know that I get that as much wanting, watching Unification. It's more like this feels like a really compelling and interesting avenue for Spock's life to take. Okay, I'm just going to be trolling right now, but uh, 
Yeah. Would, would would we consider the return of Spock in Star Trek Three? Um, like, <laughs> like I don't know, it, it's been like a bit of a gap, like uh, two or three years. Like I, I'd say no, especially since he's being played by a child actor at that point. You know, um, actually, technically in two thousand nine, the return of Spock was the uh, nine year old. Was it Jacob something or other? That uh, yeah, yeah. That that didn't quite hit as hard, um, nor did say Zachary Quinto, who I I really like as Spock, but th- it it gets a little messy when we're recasting characters, though, right? It does, and just like what Quinto has, you know, he's a very capable actor. I think he did a good job as Spock, but the gravitas that Nimoy has, just walking on screen on the ice planet of coincidence, you know, shooing away a monster <laughs> and giving an exposition bomb, like. Though, just, it's majestic watching Nimoy work there. He is just lifting mountains with that performance. And it gives that movie, like, a real power. Because, like, it would be so easy to just look at Star Trek 2009 and be like, it's a really well-paced, fun, zippy action movie. And you have really fun characters to hang out with. And that's good enough. But you throw in that Nimoy performance and it, like, elevates all of the movie around him. Okay, so we agree. We're on the same page. 2009, the best return of Spock ever. Yeah, not uh, Into Darkness. Okay, okay. <laughs> the, the view cre- okay, you know, okay, Cam, we were in theaters. The crowd did cheer when Leonard mm-hmm. Nimoy came on screen in Into Darkness. Yeah. I Okay, I, did. I did not see 2009 with you. Uh, in theaters, the crowd, I don't have any recollection of the crowd cheering on the ice planet of coincidence also occupied by scotty i god it's been so long i'm gonna assume there was at least a couple gasps but i don't recall like a big applause no and those gasps were all yours (laughs) at that point i was pretty new to the franchise so i don't know that i must have known right like we went into that movie knowing didn't we i think it was you going purple drapes purple (laughs) drapes that's a deep sure. Simpsons cut for all you <laughs> listeners out there. Cam, yeah. put that in the artwork uh, for this episode somehow. <laughs> okay, okay. Did we know that like Nimoy was in the movie? I think at we the did. time. I think we did. Yeah, yeah. They we, didn't like hide that too much. But we did not know with certainty that Nimoy was going to be mm. in Into Darkness. No, that is very true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was very satisfying to have him pop up and be like, "That con's bad news." Later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ciao. Yeah. It's like, it's so weird because like Judy Dench has like a majestic exit in Skyfall, right? And then pops up Inspector on a videotape and does basically the exact same thing where you're like, uh, why would you undercut your own exit? Uh, okay. Well, okay. So oh, well. we agree. Uh, McCoy, maybe not one of the top 10. Uh, Spock 2009, maybe in there. Uh, Scotty yeah. in Relics. Is this... <laughs> Yeah. Is this a top 10 for you? I think so, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. with you. I'm with you. It's not just <laughs> the back and forth between him and Jordy that's fun. I mean, like, it's a sort of thing where, like, you get, like, your backup watching it because you're like, oh, my God, he doesn't have reverence for this amazing figure from Trek lore. But I like it. I like that they treated Scotty like a human being. And to have Jordy being like, I don't get along with this guy. I, it's something that I think... um Maybe the first time I saw it rubbed me the wrong way, but now it makes this episode feel richer and kind of humanizes the Scotty character. And this is a character who, you know, around that time point, 
is banging his head off things on the roof and just giving <laughs> like, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain, kind of line yeah. readings. I like that they really gave a lot of emotion to that character. And that moment where Picard sits on the bridge with Scotty, it is on one hand, like acknowledging the mythology of TOS and the power of what that character represents. But on the same hand, it's a it's kind of melancholy. It's kind of acknowledging like the past is gone and I have to kind of recreate it to make this man feel comfortable. It's a little bit of that Captain America man out of time syndrome. Could you imagine if that scene was filmed today? Picard would be like, oh, yes, the majesty of these blinking <laughs> lights bringing me into the final frontier. Oh, how my mother had such an impact on my life, dear Scotty. And be like, okay. <laughs> Okay, bro. Scotty embarked on our greatest mission, stopping the Jack the Ripper space alien. <laughs> uh, Scotty, yeah, there. Um, uh, Sulu in Voyager's flashback. Um, I'll be honest with you, not in my top ten. The Sulu one, no. I think like Sulu had a fantastic appearance in Star Trek VI, just being the captain of the Excelsior. This didn't really move the needle for me. I did like it, though, as a little bit of a... Uh, redemption for um, Janice Rand, where it was like showing Janice Rand in a much more active position in that episode. And that character always kind of got little bits to do in the movies, but I liked seeing her in flashback. Okay, okay. Are we missing anybody of significance, you know, from the TOS era? You know, like I, getting into the Kelvinverse or like I, I think about something like Rain Wilson playing Harry Mudd. In Discovery, yeah. are we just getting kind of into messy territory at this point? Yeah, yeah. Although there are a couple obscure ones that showed up on DS9. You had Arn Darvin from the Trouble okay, with well, Troubles. Maybe, maybe we leave that to like the Deep Space Nine discussion. Or or actually... Okay, I was thinking of TOS characters. So. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think you have like a good point here. Because we have like Arn Darvin, a very good point. Uh, you know, the, the Klingon trio, Kang, uh, Koloth and core you know like yep. um I, I would say like the the return of like uh kang koloth and core and blood oath um much better than sulu and i would say like arn darvin in uh trials and tribulations much better than sulu as well the trouble with tribbles smaller role and then trials and tribulations much more to do for arn darvin mm -hmm. and when i look at those klingons i think like um core and kang got pretty fantastic appearances in terms of kind of like the richness of their characters on TOS. But when you expand them into DS9, they get way more to do. And then Koloth, who was in more of a comedic role, William Campbell's character from the uh, tri uh, Trouble with Tribbles, like that character just, I think, gets so much more to do when you bring him into DS9 and treat him a little more seriously as a character. And just like all three of those Klingons, um, I think like... There was a definite evolution of Klingons on screen where they were kind of portrayed as just kind of like shifty the first time through. Like, core is compelling, but by the time you get to Kang in season three, they're really looking at more of the dignity of Klingons in the Kang character. And by the time you get to DS9, they love Klingons, whether it's, you know, TNG or all the stories they did on DS9. At that point, it's like they're ready to really give these three their due. And it is a showcase to see them in like Blood Feud and then, you know, at least a couple of them going forward. Do you, okay, so I am keeping track. Do you tentatively want to include Arn Darvin and the Klingon trio in a potential top 10 list? I would say Arn Darvin, no. It's, that one's just more fun. Um, and I, I do give uh, DS9 serious points for like the TOS characters they bring back or like the obscure ones. But 
I do think like um I think uh the Klingons might make my top ten. Okay, well let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind for now. Um like yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily put Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, played by a different actor. Um I, I mean it was actually Actually, it wasn't necessarily the episode, uh, I think it was like episode four, season one of Discovery, in which she appeared uh, in the prison cell with Lorca, but it was uh, magic to make the sanest man go mad that uh, he had like much better appearance, if we were to include like actors, and, and I might make a push for different actors uh, further down the road here, but um, any TOS folks that we might be missing? I don't think so. Nothing jumps out to me. Like nothing of significance, at least. No, okay. no. And I was going to say, actually, the Rain Wilson's appearance in The Escape Artist, that Harry Mudd uh, short trek was fantastic. Probably the best use of him. Kim, let me ask you this. Is Kirk's corpse, and look, maybe some spoilers if you haven't <laughs> watched uh, season three of Picard. I, the, the, like, whatever. Me saying Kirk's corpse hasn't spoiled Star Trek Picard season three if you haven't watched it. I'm just saying that. But maybe skip ahead like three, four minutes. And maybe skip ahead three, four minutes for another Star Trek series if you don't want to have any spoilers. Um, is Kirk's corpse the closest thing to the return of Kirk? Or is Paul Wesley the charisma black hole? So far. Who re- so far, who returned as Kirk and the season one finale of Strange New Worlds. Uh, like, that's that's the closest we've ever gotten to some sort of return of Kirk. Because I, I don't consider Generations like, like a triumphant return of Kirk. Like, it's just a continuation of a fella who's been in seven movies in a row. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I don't count this, but like Trials and Tribulations was a more... Um kind of loving return for that character showing up in the crossover with DS9 there. But like... Actually, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. But it's like archive footage. So it's kind of like, do you consider it a return? Uh, I, I don't uh, know. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I would not put it in a top 10 list. No, no. It, it just feels like by killing Kirk in Generation, it kind of just threw up the roadblock on like a real like graceful return of that character and thank god they never adapted like the william shatner uh, ghost written uh, novels where the borg bring them back or something like that i the body in the vaults thing is so weird because i'm like what would you do with that like why <laughs> like what are you teasing potentially like william shatner is many years older than kirk when he died in Generations. So, like, are you going to CG a 1995 Kirk? Like, uh, what? I'll tell you what. <laughs> Look, we've got Paul Wesley as Kirk in Season 2 of Strange New Worlds. If we ever get a Star Trek Legacy series, let's say they pull the regenerated corpse of Kirk out of that Daystrom Station vault, and it suddenly appears like Paul Wesley. That would be so disappointing. <laughs> no, it'd be stupid. <laughs> Which is why I'm thinking of it. It's stupid they even like are keeping this body. Like they wouldn't just like get it back and then give him a like an honorary burial or something like that. I, I think it was meant, mostly meant to be like an Easter egg. If I'm just being honest, it is totally just an Easter egg, but it's weird, <laughs> and I I just don't even know like why. 
Why would Section 31 be hanging on to Kirk's body? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Cam, TOS, I think we're good there. Uh, why don't we jump over to the next generation? Um, would you consider um, Chief O'Brien in Emissary the most triumphant return of a uh, <laughs> of a TNG character in all of Star Trek? Um, I wouldn't say it was uh, Picard showing up in Emissary. Well, no, I would <laughs> that say that the, the well. goodbye <laughs> between O'Brien and Picard was actually really good. It is, yes, yes. I don't like, I, I, I'm just saying like, it's what, a one week gap <laughs> since we last saw him? Like, I just, yes. I, I can't put that on my list of, you know, the, the weirdest, wildest, wackiest returns of our favorite Star Trek characters. No, like, I think when I think of, like, weird returns of TNG characters, I guess, like, Riker popping up in Death Wish, mm-hmm. uh, the Voyager episode, like, that was a weird one to see, because you're like, I feel like that one's almost like a trivia point now. Everyone is always going to remember, like, Riker in the Enterprise finale because it's so notorious, but I feel like that Voyager episode kind of skates by. Well, that, okay, I, I, okay, when we jump over to Riker, uh, O'Brien is a no-go. So, yeah, uh, so for Riker, you know, we have episodes like Death Wish, uh, we have, uh, These Are the Voyages, we have Nepenthe from, uh, Picard, um, between the three of them, like, I obviously like Nepenthe the most, but, like, Mm -hmm. like, 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 I'm debating, like, Hasn't he already had like one chance to return, not including the movies, and that was Death Wish, and it was kind of a goofy return. Like you, like we didn't need Riker as a character in that episode. No, it would have been more fun to make it more of a random character. Um, I'm sure that they were just doing it to kind of maybe goose the ratings. I don't know if they put it in the commercials that week, but um... I would say that there's enough of a gap between these are the voyages and Nepenthe. Yeah, that. I would be happy to put a pizza-loving Riker in a potential top 10 list. Well, I think by the time you get to Nepenthe, you have like the weight of a character returning. Whereas it feels more like Riker's previous appearances we're referencing are more like stunt casting. It's mm-hmm. like Jonathan Frakes is game. He's making you know the movies around those points. And... I mean, Jonathan Frakes is like, we've talked about him as like Trek's ambassador, but he was a total company man because he was directing TV shows as well. And so the idea of just popping him in was like a really good idea because it got fans involved. Whereas I feel like with Nepenthe, time had gone by. Jonathan Frakes had not been making Star Trek content for the last, you know, period of time other than directing some Discovery episodes. So like the return really felt like it carried weight. And to see where that character was, things had changed. I don't know that things had changed in Voyager, and they definitely had not changed in Enterprise, where he was doing a Pegasus <laughs> yeah. uh, side cool. Like, season six of TNG. It just, you know. Also, this is a terrible episode. Um, yeah. Okay, so why don't we jump over? Okay, uh, I'm just telling you, Cam. Um, doesn't matter what you say, but I know you'll agree with me. Worf in Way of the Warrior doesn't matter the short gap between the last time we saw him in Star Trek Generations, uh, between the time that he jumped over to Deep Space Nine. Um, mm-hmm. That is one of the most triumphant returns I've ever seen yep. of a Star Trek legacy character. And Way of the Warrior is just one of those um, episodes of Star Trek where it's just one of those like comfort food episodes. I will pop on uh, Tapestry, Way of the Warrior, just like that. If I ever just needed like a a chill out Star Trek episode, and just there, there's 
no way around it. Like you have Worf actually being like the much smarter version of Worf that we've always kind of wanted, like kind of detective mode, um, have it like an acute understanding of how Klingon culture works and then just being badass throughout the course of those 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's funny because I kind of divorce in a way, like the characters appearances in the movies it's more like the impact of them showing up on a TV show later I down agree. the road, a separate yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. Even though, yeah, it's like just a couple years, you know, around this stuff, they would have been seeing Michael Dorn in the movies. It's like, yeah, but even though the movies are part of the same canon and all of that sort of thing, I I kind of do divorce them. So, yeah, I do think that the return of Worf, it wasn't just stunt casting. It wasn't like just drop Worf in there to solve a problem for, you know, a week. It was really kicking off an entire like revitalization of the character of Worf and examining him from new angles and expanding upon what was always there, but with a much richer attention to detail. Like, I love watching Worf on TNG. He's like, Michael Dorn's comic timing is unbelievable. And when you get the strong dramatic stories for Worf, he can pull them off. But DS9 just runs with that. And like, what is Worf's like worst episode of DS9? Uh, he who's without sin. That was actually a very easy question actually to ask, <laughs> but I was trying to make a point between like some of the dire material he gets on TNG versus know, DS9, yeah, but I yes. Know, know. <laughs> um, it's interesting. You said it was not stunt casting, but it technically was, you know, like, yeah. um, and you can tell like, uh, so I've been doing like my season four rewatch of Deep Space Nine and it's very clear like, okay, you bring him in for Way of the Warrior and they did not really know what to do with him until the sort of Kalos, which is about just under the halfway mark, maybe episode 12, maybe 13 of season four, mm-hmm. you know? So like it, it took them a little while to get up to speed. I think they had broken probably a bunch of stories before the studio was like, yeah, you need to bring back a big legacy character like Worf and we'll pay Michael Dorn big bucks to do so. And, um, but it didn't like, it felt organic though. Like, it felt true to the spirit of Deep Space Nine, even though they kind of diverged from a lot of the Bajoran politics and the Dominion lore that they had been building up to for those first three seasons. Yeah, it's like, you're right, it is stunt casting, but a lot of examples that we're probably going to mention or have already mentioned, the casting of that character coming back was enough for them. They were like, okay, just like give them some action scenes or whatever and we're good. Whereas like with Worf, they saw the potential of what they could do. They weren't just like, great, we got Worf, let's do what we were doing on TNG. I think it was also a mandate from Michael Dorn Mm. where he said to them, like, oh, okay, pay me big bucks, but I'm not going to come back if you're going to make me kind of a dud. Yeah, and no more mud baths. Like, he said said that before in, like, interviews. Yeah, I mean, it was a smart call. If you're going to go through all the makeup and stuff like that... Eh uh have some uh demands and i mean he would have been in a bargaining position if they want him as well uh cam uh let's jump over troy in uh pathfinder from star trek voyager versus troy in <laughs> nepenthe in season one of star trek picard um yeah well troy is also uh, you know obviously an enterprise as well god like she was also someone they would pop in and out there's just like nothing to those voyager appearances other than just kind of supporting the barclay character um, ugh. I mean, I mean, these are the voyages is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek period as well. So I think we have to cut that out. Yeah. Um, okay. We're still build- building the list. Would you tentatively put Troy 
on a top 10 list. I would, because the the depth that they gave her in what she was able to talk to Soji, figure out what's going mm-hmm. on with her, despite the fact that she's not emanating emotions as a as an android, and then confront Picard about how insensitive he is being to her plight. I, I really, I was like, this is the Troy that I've always wanted. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You and I both found that to be like revelatory to have that moment of her uh, dealing with Soji, but also like smacking down Picard for the way he was treating Soji. It was like, oh my God, like this is the kind of like counselor writing we wish we got way more often on TNG. And it just showed like a real like strength of character for Troy. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what they do with her in season three Picard. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) <laughs> brutal i know uh, i know yeah yeah <laughs> okay cool uh cam um speaking of pathfinder uh, what about the return of reginald barkley i kind of like this i don't like that scene with troy where it seems like she's counseling like a serial killer <laughs> like that's unsettling <laughs> yeah. but like in terms of like showing the evolution of that character who you know he's creating this pathfinder project so often on tng he can accomplish things but he needs other people to support him I like that with the Pathfinder project and him being there, you know, to essentially greet Voyager. Um, I it gave him like some actual agency as an individual. So I like it for growth for his character, but I can understand why it may not make most people's top ten list. I will say this though: uh, when I was at uh, Star Trek First Contacts, uh, the first time that that I saw it in theaters, uh, there were people like, "Ooh." Like mm-hmm. ooing when uh, Barkley came on screen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure when I saw that movie, which at that point I hadn't really seen that much TNG, I was just baffled. <laughs> okay, um, maybe he doesn't quite make a, a potential top ten list here. Uh, but uh, what about Jordy LaForge in Voyager's Timeless in kind of this alt future? Uh, he's the captain of, I believe, the USS Rhode Island at the time. I like any chance they can get to like elevate the character's position um if they brought back Jordy, you know <laughs> with the visor just acting like the Jordy we know from tng i i kind of lose a little bit of enthusiasm i like that they're pushing him forward at least in this alt timeline as like a captain um it was more like i guess that one it's a really fun bit of stunt casting but it was a little bit of kind of a hint as to what r- would really come in picard season three yeah, it, it just, let's keep in mind, like, we only ever saw him on a view screen as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, he's getting the Spock and in, Into Darkness treatment here. Or the Shelby. <laughs> okay, well, um, <laughs> don't get ahead of ourselves. Uh, okay, can we take Shelby off the list of TNG returns? <laughs> yep. I mean, it was brutal. Yes, we can. Uh, can yeah. we consider Ro Laren as part of the top 10 list? I think that one might creep into, like, the Towards the bottom of the top 10 for me. Yeah, because they just really paid off that character in a fantastic way. Preemptive Strike was a good episode. Um, Of the kind of character farewell episodes of the last season of TNG, it was probably the best one. And there was always that lingering question of what happened to her with the McKee being wiped out. And I appreciated that not only did they give us a solid resolution to that character, but also gave us an emotional moment between her and Picard talking about the relationship. I don't even care that much about the like, you know, kamikaze maneuver she pulled at the end. I care more about that moment of the two of them talking. 
Okay, so this is where I'm a little bit soured. Um, as listeners of the show know, one of our guests decided to like DM me <laughs> before I saw the episode. Uh, you know, hey, it's seven thirty in the morning. What did you think of Ro Laren's return in the latest episode of Star Trek uh, Picard? I was like, <laughs> okay, thanks. And th- so I knew it was coming on as soon as I saw the episode. I, like, I believe me, Cam. I spent the whole day very bitter <laughs> being spoiled. But as soon as I saw the episode, <laughs> I didn't care so much. Um, I the only thing that just did not quite ring true for me is is how upset Picard was. And he was like, I've been thinking about this for 30 years. And I know he definitely, okay, the Picard we knew definitely felt betrayed. Hmm. But the vitriol and the venom, and the and like, I, it just, it rang a little untrue for me in that sequence we saw in the uh, um, <laughs> ever-present holographic 10 forward set. <laughs> I guess it, to me, just felt like after this prolonged period of time that it was kind of this releasing of the bottled up emotions that she had uh, held about her relationship with Picard and also how he felt about her abandoning Starfleet. So I was along for the ride. It felt like one of the more satisfying payoffs to me in terms of what the series Picard offered. Why don't we put that in the uh, top 10 list for now and then see where we get to by the end of the episode. Um, Cam, uh... <laughs> Wesley Crusher in the season two oh, no. finale no, of Star Trek: no. Picard. Is... It stop. Okay, we agree. Is this one of the worst? Uh, Is this one of the worst returns? Um, I'm kind of like just scanning my list. I think it might be the worst. I think it might be like, the worst. What is competition? Cam, I watched this scene and I felt so uncomfortable and I was like, this is not doing any justice to the character. In fact, it's making him look like a total creep. Um, This is a 50-year-old man trying to recruit a 23, 24-year-old. Actually, technically, wasn't she like uh, seven months old? Like this genetic (laughs) kind of clone? um, That is accurate. Yeah, to to join him as as a traveler why um i think she was like kind of handy when it came to vr and walking around without shoes on in los angeles like i we're, we're talking about corey soon like um i don't know cam didn't make much sense to me i have absolutely no idea what they were thinking with this uh appearance that he makes in picard season two i mean i guess it's true to the spirit of Picard season two yeah. in terms of writing but I just don't understand why they wouldn't hold on to Wesley and just work him into a a more effective cameo in season three okay so he's not our list um okay, so Cam, I think one character um that maybe I, I wasn't disappointed by was one data um so except for, of course when uh it's been 20 years since we last saw him in uh, Star Trek Nemesis and recall that first trailer for Picard in which we see Data's face and <laughs> the CG de-aging wasn't quite where it needed to be. And it was, it was quite frightening to look at. The most nightmarish return I can ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say this though. Okay. So maybe I'm thinking about it a little bit holistically here. You know, where's, okay, we can talk about say Riker and Troy and they have that one episode in Nepenthe. Maybe that's their return. I kind of like to think of Data's return, not necessarily that dream sequence in 10 forward. Mm-hmm. That was a dream sequence, you know. Uh, there's also him painting in the vineyard. That Again, like those are dream sequences there. Like their actual character came back in the Picard finale. 
Right. And I thought it was one of the few like incredibly effective uh, moments from season one. I thought this was like a legit goodbye to that character. And I, I thought Data's return was actually pretty solid. And, you know, maybe going a little bit off formula here, I, I think the, the new Data that they did bring back, I kind of like that guy too. Like it actually worked for me and I didn't think it would have based on kind of these parameters like this is a Data that incorporates lore and law and uh, Elton... Alton Sung? I I can never remember that guy's name, but, you know, I was just like, eh, really? And then it worked for me. Yeah, I think, like, the return of this newer data, my one frustration with it was that, like, actually, I got two. The, um, kind of the uh, backflips you have to do to get to that new data is a little convoluted. Um, and then also just the fact that we get this new data, and there's so many possibilities about what you could do with that character, and this is a show like the Picard season three that does not have time to like delve into that kind of material. Like I would have loved an episode purely about him existing in this new form, but there's no time for that. This is an action based, you know, narrative. So in that sense, it's a little frustrating for me. But in terms of a character as played by Brent Spiner, who is it feels like something we haven't seen before, which is something I think is difficult with data. You know, when you look at the movies, it's a lot of emotion chip stuff that gets really played out and then they're like okay let's just revert him back to like early mode data which is also not that interesting because it just feels like you're kind of playing the greatest hits this felt like they were doing something different and interesting and it also didn't feel like they were like brent we're gonna have to dye your hair brown we are gonna put that makeup on we're gonna cg it we've got to make you look exactly like the data everyone remembers it felt like a visual evolution as well after his toe-to-toe with lore what was his most amazing moment in season three? Um, uh, I would, I mean, it's not like a big, like, you know, um, action beat moment or anything, but I just think of like his conversations with Jordy. Those are the moments that are going to stick with me. Which one specifically? Um, I think the one where Jordy tells him like how much it gutted him to have the loss of data. I would say that one. Wasn't that in that? Like, before he went toe-to-toe with Lore? Hmm. You see, I think I'm conflating in my head now that one and then the one that happens in the conversation they have in the final episode of the season. And I'm, like, mixing up which material was in which conversation. I, I'm just saying, like, I, I, I'm i agreeing with you in, like, they create this new data and I just don't think that they gave him enough good material towards the end of the run of that season you know i just like I, for me the, the moment that sticks out most is when he's on the bridge of the enterprise d and he's saying like you gotta trust me i feel it in my gut that i can mm. fly the ship through the borg cube right that's what kind of more so than any maybe contemplative moment that he got with Jordy, because i'm kind of struggling like i i know that just seeing them together felt good i'm trying like what did they actually talk about that is sticking in my head more so than the I feel it in my gut moment. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your mentioning Data's initial return at the end of season one, Picard, I would put that moment so high up a list of returns if they didn't completely undercut it with season three, <laughs> right. Picard. It's like you had such an emotional farewell where I'm like, wow, what an amazing way to say goodbye to that character. And then they were like, nope, <laughs> we got to bring back Data because the fans love him. 
Well, maybe for that reason, we'll have to keep him off this uh, tentative top 10 list that we'll uh, dig into in just a few moments here. Uh, but Cam, um, what about the one and only Jean-Luc Picard? You know, like, how do we judge his return? Is it um, episode one of season one? Is it season one as a whole? Is it is it Star Trek Picard as a whole? Like, otherwise... I'll just say it. Um, doesn't matter what parameter. I, I describe it as incredibly disappointing. Uh, I, I'm a little confused, Tyler. I, I don't think Picard ever returned. <laughs> well, right? Okay. Like, Nemesis was the last time we saw Picard, right? I don't know who this man was <laughs> who turned into a, a complete loser that just bore no resemblance to the, the fellow that we were so enamored with for 15 years straight. Wasn't this his character from Masterminds? That's what I thought. It, 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 it was him trying to play. Um, remember when the rumor was always going to be that Patrick Stewart had been cast as Mr. Freeze in the next Batman movie? Yeah. Uh, it was him playing the scientist before the scientist turned into Mr. Freeze. Okay. I mean, yeah, that would have, uh, I think, worked a little better. I don't know. Like, I guess with the return of Picard, it is that season one, episode one, I suppose, is the return I guess it's not too embarrassing. It actually starts out okay, but uh, it's where that we go with time. Well, we we gave them the benefit of the doubt at that yeah. point. Well, at that point, you know, I, I'm not big on the whole like um, journalist like raking him over the coals kind of uh, stuff in the first episode. But there is kind of a certain dignity to the character. You see him on the vineyard. We have that scene with him and David Paymer where they're talking about his illness. It feels like an older Picard that has you know had a, a lot of experiences and is reaching the end of his life so in terms of that isolated episode about the return of picard it's not so bad it's it's inoffensive it's not necessarily what i want to see when i tune into star trek picard but little did i realize that there was things they hadn't up their sleeve that i wanted to see even less from a series called star trek picard but I'll say this, it, it didn't thrill me the same way that maybe uh, troy and riker's return later on that season thrilled me no, and I think maybe that's sometimes the problem, too, with being the lead versus a supporting character. Like, you write, like, just a dynamite one-episode story for Riker and Troy to pop in on, and it's a blast. Whereas, like, catching up with this older Picard and then kind of stretching that over 10 episodes that they were not fit to really stretch over 10 episodes, it just kind of sucks all the fun out of the character. Like, what is there in, like, the first three seasons, or the only three seasons of Picard where you're like... What amazing Picard material versus like Jordy, incredible in season three, Riker and Troy, great in season one. You know, you don't get that kind of stuff really from Picard. No. Um, Q, what about his return? I mean, we had last seen him in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, then he's slapping Picard in the face in uh, by episode three of season two. But we did see him at the very end of season or. Uh, Episode two of season two of Picard, uh, Penance, I think was the name of that episode. Yeah. And um, it was cool. It, like, you know, like he flashes there looking like uh, a very young John DeLancey. And then uh, he, he turns himself into uh, an older version to kind of catch up with one John Luke. I thought that was highly effective personally. Me too. And the fact that he came across as a little unhinged and was slapping Picard. One of the things I've always thought worked better with Q is when there was some menace to him. and. The idea of a Q who is unhinged in some way, I think, is actually kind of scary because of his power set. Uh, 
that sort of like godlike mode he has when he is sort of lording over Picard. The idea that this is someone who is not of rational mind is actually something I think is very intimidating and could be incredibly effective if handled right in a season of television. Well, don't worry. By the end of the season, uh, we got to watch this menacing Q figure hugging Picard. That felt like they were trying to replicate the magic of the Data Farewell from season one, and it it could have worked because you have two actors who are committed, but like there was nothing in the season that spoke to like Q's behavior in that finale. It felt so unearned. It just and not organic to those characters as well, you know. And just the moment, it, it just felt fake, you know, like um. Why have you taken such interest in me over these years? Well, Picard, you're my favorite. It's like, okay, like, sure, whatever, dude. It felt more based on TNG and some of the experiences he had, like Deja Q, for example, than it did in any story they were telling in season two, Picard. But I could not picture Q giving Picard a big hug at some point in All Good Things either. You know, right? Yeah, because he does have a little bit of that tinge of menace in all good things as well. Um, hmm. What about by the end of Tapestry? No, no. Yeah. Like I, I don't ever picture Q giving Picard a heartfelt hug and Picard reciprocating, ever. Right. Picard thought of Q as an entire menace to him, like more than just a nuisance, but this omnipotent being causing nothing but trouble. Maybe in uh, Star Trek Legacy, um, we'll get to see uh, Q hang out with Jack Crusher and reveal that it was all like a doppelganger that he had. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he created a dying version of Q. <laughs> or it was Corbin Burnson in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I just think it's such, like, it, it still never makes sense to me that we never got Q in a movie, you know? like Is that one of the biggest missed opportunities in Star Trek? If only from a marketing perspective, you know, like you start off with Kirk in Generations, you go to the Borg in First Contact, and then in Insurrection, you've got uh, F. Murray Abraham. And it's just like, I like that actor, but it just does not pack a punch from a marketing perspective. Just imagine like the poster and it's like, just have down below, like the trial continues on, you know, release date of the movie. And you could have like a big Q image there. I feel like that sells itself a lot better than uh, what Insurrection was. <laughs> well, they could finally use that. Uh, they'd always been talking about using Star Trek Nemesis as a, the name of the eighth movie and then the name of the ninth movie before they got to use it for the tenth movie. I think Star Trek Nemesis would have worked for uh, number nine there. Or they just call it Renaissance and just confuse everyone. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> just like your co-host who's kind of confused right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, so he's not our list. Um, what about Yar? Is there enough of a gap between um, Skin of Evil and Yesterday's Enterprise for this to be like considered kind of a real Trump triumphant return? This was where I was saying like I take into consideration the events that they're returning from. And Tashi Yar's death had a lot of meaning, not so much in the staging, but in terms of like the 27-minute funeral and then um, Data referring to the death of Yar and ongoing episodes. So like having that character come back, I think really meant something. And while it's not the same Tasha, it 
expands the mythology of Tashiar and kind of keeps that character's spirit alive. So I do think this counts. And the fact that they, you know, they have moments of like Guinan talking about her like meaningless death. Like they're acknowledging like mm-hmm. the deficiencies in what they did with that character originally. So I think this one does have a lot of impact. I, w- I would put this in a tentative top 10 list for now. Um, Cam, am I missing anybody notable from TNG? It, it, it kind of makes me sad that like, Beverly Crusher did not really get to return until, you know, Star Trek Picard season three. Like, it's, it's been 20 years since we last saw our nemesis. Yeah. Um, the only ones I had other than, you know, just acknowledging season three Picard people was like Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks. Um, that one jumped out. Um, that was fun, but, you know, kind of inconsequential. I think that's about it. I, I do want to note we did actually skip over Sarek though, from the original series, who had a pretty fantastic appearance on TNG. Would you uh, put that in a tentative top 10 list here? I might. Okay, okay. Why don't we do that? I, I'm not going to... Uh, or uh, It's either that or his return on Star Trek Discovery uh, when he's uh, giving uh, Burnham uh, knowledge about the Vulcan hello in mm. the series premiere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Been enough of a gap, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, so why don't we, uh, oh, actually, you know what, let me ask you this, uh, would you put, uh, Dr. Crusher in episode one of Star Trek Picard season three in a potential top ten list? No, no, I wouldn't, um. Commando Crusher, as, uh, people like calling her. I think I like what they do more with the character over the course of Picard, but mm-hmm. like up front, all the like shooting people down in a hallway and stuff, I'm like, ah. and there's like still mystery box stuff tied. Like what was Beverly doing? So in terms of that specific episode, no, but I do think like Gates McFadden's performance across that season was very strong and just really damning in regards to the movies. Like they basically wrote her out of them and you're like, why? This actress was more than capable of delivering fantastic work. Look, she's cashing a paycheck, but you talk to Gates McFadden, and she'd be like, "Really? You got like?" She would rather be like working, you know, like yeah. like doing stuff of consequence. There, it's quite unfortunate. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we jump over to Deep Space Nine? Let me ask you this: I, like, I know you're kind of more of kind of the DVD watcher, but for me, those three and a half months between the departure of Jedzia Dax and the return of Dax in mm. Image in the Sand with Ezri Dax. Is that one of the most triumphant returns of a Star Trek legacy character? <laughs> no, I don't think no? I would say that's uh, <laughs> one of the most triumphant. I will say, though, like they had lemons and they made lemonade because the Esri character really clicked uh, once you kind of got over that bump of bringing Dax back in that form. And the fact that like um, Nicole DeBoer is very popular at conventions and fans genuinely really like Esri given just one season of DS9, that speaks to the fact that that return, while uh, unfortunate in some ways, did deliver television people enjoyed. I don't think he could have done better than what we got. Like, I think it, like, A, great casting, and that had a lot to do with uh, one of the writers on Deep Space Nine, I I believe it was Hans Beimler. He had worked with Nicole DeBoer on uh, Tech Wars, like, back on the day. And he kind of, like, 
I, I think he said in an interview, you know, like he had, he had said, you know what, I'm going to get you another job one of these days. I, like, you've got something, kiddo. I, I don't think he said that, but like, um, <laughs> you know, but like, like he recognized like there's like a certain like uh, charisma w within that uh, uh, performer. And it was so great to see like this character, like it's also a, a different kind of trill character, like somebody who's never meant to be joined, you know, and, and like how they're, they're, they're a counselor. They've got their own mental health issues that they're trying to deal with as well. And just the various connections between everybody from like Bashir to Cork to Worf, I think they were explored very well. And even just, it, it was lovely having like Cisco calling her old man again. Yeah. And also they give her like several episodes just to herself in season seven. You know, there's the um, um, prodigal, prodigal daughter. daughter. Yeah. And what's the, um, the sniper one? The Field uh, of Fire. Field of Fire, and then I think she gets another one, um, a, a more Garrick-centric episode earlier on in the season. And the fact that they were giving her so much material, and also that episode where she's with Worf, and they're basically talking about their evolving relationship. Penumbra, um, yeah. Yeah, like a different show, if they'd had a recast like that, would write that character quietly <laughs> to the side. She would pop uh, in, but not add a lot of consequence. And the fact that she gets like multiple episodes to shine is, uh, you know, again, I give a lot of credit to the DS9 people for not shying away from a tough assignment. We are thinking of this character holistically, but I don't know if her initial return quite makes it onto the top 10 list. No, I would say not. No. Okay. Kim, I'm racking my brain here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, other than that, the only Deep Space Nine returns that we've had were all in animated form with, you know, Odo reappearing with, like, I guess, like, cut-up voiceover stuff that was on Star Trek Prodigy and on Holodeck episode. And then we got Kira and Quark in Here All Trust Nothing in Star Trek Lower Decks, which also had a uh, appearance of uh, Morn as well. Um would not put any of these animated appearances in the top 10 list, despite how nice it was to hear those very familiar voices, uh, except in the case of Morn, uh, once again. Yeah, like I would acknowledge the Lower Decks appearances of Kira and Quark, and I guess Morn, as like, I was very happy with them. Uh, and they feel like in some ways they're, you know, just a little bit evolving the characters. The uh, prodigy appearances of not just Odo, but you also had um, Uhura. And who else was in that room? Uh, was Spock in that room? Yes, Spock was in the room. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, having, you know, those characters there, it's not really a return because it's just a holodeck program. So you're not kind of seeing any sort of evolution to your characters it's a fun little bit of fan service but that kind of is all it is to me yeah are there any deep space nine characters i'm forget other than golda cat's skull <laughs> in the uh season uh two episode two of uh star trek picard oh and Mar martok's skull as well uh, th those are pretty amazing actually um <laughs> I, I do Are they wonder making what... your top ten <laughs> They're not. I am curious what like Patrick Stewart was thinking when he was <laughs> expounding on um the Galdicott skull. <laughs> Is he just like, what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Um I'm trying okay. Who would be the best candidate 
out of the Deep Space Nine characters to possibly make a triumphant return at some point. The bummer one is I would have said Nog because you would have seen like an older Nog in Starfleet. I think that mm -hmm. could have been really effective, but obviously with Aaron Eisenberg passing away, that's not going to be the case. Um, huh. I mean, I would like to see what is going on with Kira. I think that's the one. Oh, we already got her yeah. initial return. Somebody suppose... was returned. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll just jump to my answer, though. Uh, I, I think the one of the most potential would be Bashir at this point. And, yeah. like, he's not necessarily a doctor on a Federation ship, but maybe he's not necessarily like, hey, I'm joining up with Section 31, but he's more of kind of like, I'm going to be, I don't know, maybe in Starfleet Intelligence, willing to work with some of the kinds of like uh less savory parts of the federation to ensure that you know we are protecting that. like i i can see the evolution of the character going from like good doctor to kind of um reluctant spy yeah you know what that is a great one and i think it's also unpredictable as to where he would go like you and i can kind of get a sense of where o'brien probably is um you know i think there's a chance Odo might have appeared on Picard season three had the actor been alive, possibly. Um, but I kind of get the sense of, yeah, Odo's with the Great Link. That's fine. I, I know where he is. But like Bashir, I don't have a great sense. I also think like Garrick would be one I would just love to have a better yeah, idea right. as to where he went. Uh, what about a random Weyoun clone uh, somewhere off in the Gamma Quadrant? That would fall more into the fun for me than one that I'm, like, yeah. dying for. And same with, like, I was going to say Jake Sisko. I don't know that I have, like, a lot of lingering questions. He's probably a writer. Um, maybe he has a family at this point. But these aren't, like, questions that keep me up at night. <laughs> uh, well, okay. I don't have any lingering questions about, say, Grand Nagus Rom or Chancellor Martok. It would be fantastic to see <laughs> those galactic leaders... At some point in, like, maybe a Federation conference, though. Yes, I would be totally interested in seeing that, yeah. Okay. Uh, jumping over to Voyager. Um, Cam, let me ask you this question. Uh, Janeway and Nemesis or Janeway and Star Trek Prodigy? <laughs> Prodigy. I mean, when it's, like, just a view screen, brief appearance, giving exposition, what am I supposed to take from this? Yeah, I know. Um, didn't really do it for me. And I think there's a lot of kind of, uh, there's a little bit of groaning in the theater. Maybe, maybe it's just, I'm projecting, and this is like 20 years ago. Uh, whereas how excited were we when we saw not only just hologram Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy, but spoiler, I don't know, skip ahead like 30 seconds, but we saw the actual Admiral Janeway in the flesh in the season, uh, one mid season finale. <laughs> of uh, Star Trek Prodigy with that iconic line, Cam, what is it again? Let's go get Chakotay or something like oh, that. Oh, you messed that up. You messed that up, sir. What is it? I I will redeem yeah. uh, Janeway here. It's I'm coming, Chakotay. Right, right. Um, so then let me ask you this. Uh, okay, so it's now out there in the news. Um, Chakotay, or I should say Robert Beltran was approached to play Seven of Nine's husband in episodes two and three of Picard season two. And Beltran was like, F that. No, thank you. And I thought that would have been a lot of fun, despite it being like an alternate future. Um, what did you think of his return in Star Trek Prodigy? 
I would say that it was less memorable than the return of the outrageous Okona. It's I don't quite understand Chicote or I guess Beltran's delivery of Chicote and that he sounds like he's doing an impression of one William Shatner during the animated series. Like just the delivery of the lines like hi Janeway. Cool. Good to see you again. I'm just like oof, like what is going on here, sir? I think Robert Beltran is just one of those actors. It's like, if you get him locked in, he's fantastic, as we have spoken about ad nauseum so many times with two-parters. But um, when he's switched off, oh boy, is he switched off. (laughs) It is like, clear, clear. (laughs) Try to bring this man to life. I am hoping, because what we've seen him do so far on Prodigy is very minor. It's just like a line here or there. I am looking forward to when he actually has a more active presence on the show and we can have extended scenes of him interacting with other characters in a bigger way. Then hopefully we get a little more of the lively Chakotay that popped up on Voyager. Okay. Uh, so he's not making it on the tentative top 10 list. Would you put the appearance of Admiral Janeway in the mid-season finale, season one, a prodigy, in a potential tentative top 10 list? I think I would strongly consider it. Okay, well, I'm this wondering, is tentative like, at this point. Yeah. yeah, I'm just wondering if she has enough to do that kind of gets it across the line. And it's also like I'm having trouble separating it from what she does going forward. So, yeah, is that episode, that one episode enough? I don't know about that. Cam, you and I were excited. You and I oh, yeah. were very excited, despite the fact that you can't remember her dialogue you and i were <laughs> repeating that dialogue to each other uh throughout the entire gap between the uh mid-season uh finale and the mid-season premiere so I, I, i'm gonna put it in there we, we can discuss in a little bit there um okay let me ask you this uh seven of nine returns in star trek picard and mm. we get a little glimpse of her at the end of i believe episode four which was uh absolute candor and it's something like what you up to, Picard? Trying to save the galaxy? It's like, yes, 79 is back. And then episode five, it turns out she's a serial killer. And I'm like, oh. It kind of, it really bumped me out. Like, I just, I can't put the return of seven of nine on any sort of list at this point. When I look at seven of nine's return in season one and two of Picard, it's like they were running things through an algorithm to determine what would get fans excited to the max. And they were like, people love Seven of Nine. Let's put her in the Picard show. Uh, we'll figure out her material later. And it's the opposite of Worf, where when he joins DS9, they're like, how do we crack open this character and find new depth? Seven of Nine, like, she's great in season three, but like, season one, is there any depth whatsoever to what they're doing? No, not at all. It like even remember like there, there's a totally like fake ADR, and and for those that don't know, it's like uh, ADR is additional dialogue recording. It, it, it's essentially like voiceover after a scene has been filmed, where she's in that like knife fight with one um, uh, uh, Rizzo, the uh, Vulcan spy or uh, Romulan spy, 
and she's like knifing her over the ledge of a board cube so Rizzo could fall to her death. And you could totally, they, they cut away from Seven of Nine's mouth and you just see the back of her head. And she's like, that was for Hugh. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> like they're trying to retroactively give her motivation for her actions. I'm just like, uh, like it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And we were like at the time thinking, well, hopefully they fix that in season two. Uh, okay. Um, Cam, uh, what about Tuvok in Star Trek Picard? The real Tuvok that we got. Not not the... Uh, yeah, not the imposter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, he had a nice scene. Um, it was... With some of the, like, tiering of characters, like, Tuvok's not as, like, popular as, say, like, a seven. So you're never going to get, like, an ongoing Tuvok arc, I don't think, on a new Star Trek show on the air. But in terms of, like cameo appearances i thought this was pretty effective and you know kind of recalled some of the memories you would have of that character on voyager um it didn't treat him like a bore and i think that's something like voyager they didn't know how to handle tuvok very well a lot of the time i felt like they often underwrit him or basically just like wrote him out of the show uh at periods of time whereas i feel like here they understood what that character meant and tried to do a little more with him okay but if seven of nine doesn't have a chance on our top 10 list. If Chakotay doesn't have a chance on our top 10 list, I'm going to kind of uh, kick Tuvok to the curb here in favor of maybe Tom Paris in Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah, oh yeah, I would agree. I think the Tom Paris one is more memorable because I don't even know if it's that much of what Robert Duncan McNeil actually does in the episode, but introducing things like the Tom Paris plate, that's like iconic now. It's a thing. There are literally, like, um, merchandise plates that you can purchase as a big fan. Like, that may be the most impact that Lower Decks has had in terms of, like, bringing back returning characters. And, you know, they've done a few things. You know, you had Sulu pop up, Leah Brahms. You've had a few, you know, opportunities for them to do things. But I really think that Tom Paris one, it connected. Okay. He's on our list. Cam, am I missing anybody from Star Trek Voyager at this point? Um, no, I don't, I mean, <laughs> it was a tease that Harry Kim was something they wanted to do on Picard season three, but that didn't happen. So next time, Harry, uh, no, I think that's it. It's just, it's kind of a bummer that we've had the return of, not a bummer, it's been great that we've had the return of five main characters from Star Trek Voyager, but really only Kira and Quark truly have made like a, a, a big return after a long gap from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how many more opportunities there's going to be going forward for them to, other characters from DS9 to appear outside of animated shows. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll zap to the future and be an instructor at, uh, Starfleet Academy camp. Um, please no, but, uh, maybe <laughs> in like one of these two hour movies they're going to make for their streaming network, we could get something like an appearance that hopefully... Give me a Garrick movie. Give me a Garrick movie, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I think if you did something cool with Garrick, that could easily be top 10. And I realized something, Tyler. We glossed over what is easily a top 10 contender. Well, do tell, sir. From the original series, Khan, showing up in Wrath of Khan. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Okay, I, I'm not going to... Uh, yeah, like, we've mostly kind of been sticking to, like, um, returns on television. 
Cam, I'm going to, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah, this kind of fulfills the parameters, which we've kept kind of loose. And uh, yeah, um, the fact that, okay, I was more like I had seen the movie like five times before I had ever seen Space Seed before. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like it was like a return that blew me away. But watching C- Space Seed, it just gave it so much more context. I, w- I would absolutely say that this deserves to be on like a top 10 list. And what I love about it is it's not like they just brought Khan back and were like, okay, repeat what the character was doing in his previous story, Space Seed. They evolved what had happened to him. They made him, you know, basically someone who had lost his grip on reality to a certain degree due to the trauma he'd gone through on that planet. And I loved how they gave that character like a closure that he died triumphant. In his mind, he beat Kirk. And so it's like they gave that character his dignity on his way out. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were talking about Benedict Cumberbatch this entire time. Oh, right. No, we aren't going to count that one. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, Cam, has anybody from Star Trek Enterprise returned? Not yet. I've always been surprised that Archer hasn't gotten some sort of cameo, even on like uh, Lower Decks or something. Uh, it feels like it's going to happen at some well, point, right? You do recall at like a Star Trek convention that Scott Bakula said that Brian Fuller had approached him for a cameo, yeah. presumably in the series premiere of Star Trek Discovery. And this is when Brian Fuller, the co-creator of Discovery, was still the uh, <laughs> the uh, executive producer attached to the show before he was kind of ousted. Yes. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have seen it. I wonder if it would have been something akin to Zephram Cochran um, at the start of Enterprise, just basically launching the show. Uh, That's what I'd I like would think, have figured, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think they would have something maybe a little more creative, but either way, I just think it would be a nice way to kind of honor the legacy of Archer. Maybe we get like a hologram program of Archer on Strange New Worlds at some point? Sure. Um, But in terms of like best candidates in the flesh i think to paul or shran they kind of make the most sense just knowing that they have longer lifespans uh, as uh yeah vulcans and andorians respectively yeah like i think trip would be a shoe in had the character survived the finale but um i would say unless they plan to retcon that and rewrite it they'll probably just leave trip where he is but to paul is a case where i think that character might have returned by now. I just don't know that Jolene Blaylock is that interested in doing more Star Trek. I don't Trek. think she I, cares. Yeah, I, I just don't think she's that uh, committed to doing it or that or pursuing that uh, opportunity that much. So um, I'd love to see T'Pol. I think that's a character that could actually be like something of a legacy character for the franchise. But uh, I guess we'll see if at some point in the future they do, you know, the young T'Pol Chronicles or something or do a time jump and do more with that character. Who knows? Remember, like, I don't know, like, five years ago, we were saying, like, everybody's getting a spinoff or making jokes about that. But now with, like, uh, just over the last, uh, I guess, like, 14 months and how much uh, streaming services have had to reshape their business models, like, no one's getting, like, a spinoff anymore. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. So I, I don't know if I feel great about her coming back. Um it I think it's, yeah, Archer or Shran. Jeffrey Combs is still in the trek party he's showing up on lower decks as an evil computer i think it would be very cool to work in shran plus with like the makeup it's like you don't even have to acknowledge aging you could set it wherever you'd like and still use shran easily um 
Well, I said put him in strange new worlds. I think I think that totally yeah. makes sense. It's, it's like it, maybe it's a hundred year time gap, but I I could believe an Andorian could live to be like 150 years old. Sure, yeah, and actually I would like to see flocks as well. Again, a similar makeup situation. Yeah. Okay. Um Cam, should we delve into the top 10 list now, like really kind of cull that list and I don't know. It might get confusing, but maybe even try to rank it. Okay, let's go for it. Okay, so I'm going to read it off. Uh Scotty, uh, Spock, the three Klingons, uh Kang, Kor and Koloth. Mm. Worf, uh, tentatively Arn Darvin, uh, Riker, Troy, Yar, Rolaren, Sarek, Janeway, Tom Paris, and Khan. That is a total of 13 folks out of the ones that I listed. Mm. Um, I, I think we, okay, would it be fair to take Arn Darvin off that list? I was going to say that, yes. What about Tom Paris? Um... I think that one could go too. Yeah. So I'm wondering. I don't want to influence you too much. I'll read out the list once more. Uh, Scotty, Spock, Klingons, Worf, Riker, Troy, Yar, Rolaren, Sarek, and Khan. That's who's left. Would you take out, say, Sarek, or would you take out the Klingons? Oh, that is really difficult. I think Mark Leonard's performance in Sarek is so wonderful, and it just leads to some really profound moments with Spock as well in his return on TNG. The Klingons also get a lot to do as well. Boy, um... I gotta be honest, I think Sarek just has such more, so much more of a footprint in Star Trek canon, and I think it was a... I think Sarek is a better episode yeah. of TNG than Blood Oath is of Deep Space Nine. That is very accurate, yeah. And I do think, like, the Klingons' return means a lot to people who are really into, you know, Trek trivia. Like, I'm sure TOS fans were very excited, but it doesn't... I I don't know that it pays off, like, the average viewer the way that, like, I think the Sarek one might work better because Mark Leonard even is a presence in the movies. Like, if you're a general person seeing those movies in that TV show, I think the Sarek stuff is a little more weighty. Could we go to, um... If we're going to order them, what about Riker and Troy towards the bottom of the list, their returns in Nepenthe versus, or would you maybe put Rolaren below that? I would put Rolaren below them. Okay, I can, I can uh, deal with that. So why don't we have Ro at number 10? Would you have Sarek above or below Troy and Riker? Hmm. The, oh, um... I think I would say, God, maybe I. Uh, I, th- I think I, I think you have to put Troy and Riker above Sark, just in terms of like the gap that existed, and yeah, how much like I just felt for having those characters back and just catching up with them, despite some of the tragedy that had befallen them. That's true. There is much more of a catch up there, whereas like Sark was popping up in TOS movies around that time period. Okay, so why don't I put Sarek at number nine? Um, now, would you have Admiral Janeway below or above Troy and Riker? I think below. Yeah, like she doesn't have the material that um, I think Riker and Troy have in their episode. Okay, so 
Okay. And I'm kind of, uh, like, I don't want to be too influential, but, like, we're kind of agreeing on things. Would you put um, <laughs> Scotty above or below Troy and Riker? I would put him above. I think that Scotty okay. appearance is one of the all-time great returns for a character on Star Trek. So would it be fair if we put Riker and Troy at 7 and 6? Yeah, I think so. Okay, now I'm going to put the onus on you. Actually, no, okay. I would argue that I think Troy had a better return than Riker did in Picard Season 1. Riker's is more fun, but Troy's is like, uh, it just feels like a big moment for her character and not the types of moments she ever really got on TNG. Let me ask you this. Um, Worf, Way of the Warrior, versus Scotty in Relics. Uh, I would oh. Hmm. oh boy, this is a really tough one. What are you thinking? I mean, like I said, like relics could be that comfort food episode for me, yeah. but I always go to way of the warrior and just what they did, just giving so much more depth to Worf than we had ever seen before. I mm. think that does it for me. I would put Scotty at number five personally. But you know what? Let me ask you this. Actually, actually, before we decide on any of that. Yeah. Should we have Yar above or below Riker and Troy? I would put her below them. Okay, so why I don't think, I put yeah. Yar at seven? Because it's not the same character, right? Like, it, yeah. it is Yar, but it's not the Yar we know. So then what we've got, I think, can we agree maybe Worf goes over Scotty? Uh-huh. So that leaves us with Spock in 2009, Khan in The Wrath of Khan, Scotty in Relics, and Worf in Way of the Warrior. We're getting to the top four here, close to the top five. Who would, uh, before we get into the, uh, <laughs> close to the top four, before we get into the top three, who would you put at number four between Scotty, Spock, Worf, and Khan? Hmm. Um... I think Spock. I, guess. I think Spock in 2009. You think that one, huh? Um, I, I love this Scotty. I, I love Relic so much. It just, yeah. it, it, it makes my heart flutter. Well, it's also just doing so much more with the character of Scotty. Whereas like 2009 isn't doing a lot with Spock. It's just that Nimoy's moments are just so profound in their performance. But I, I would say like the, sh you know, the show uh, relics is just more meaningful to that character. Spock has a long journey. I don't know that when I look at the greatest hits of Spock, that 2009 is in his like top four or five. Um, so I would say this is like the greatest Scotty episode ever. So let's put Scotty over Spock, I think. Okay. So then I guess the question is Worf or Khan? Number one and two. <laughs> Uh, you're basically talking about two classics. Way of the Warrior and Wrath of Khan are two of the great classics in the annals of Star Trek storytelling. So it's more about... I would say the one thing that tilts me towards Khan is the time between when he'd last played that character. Like, it is, you know, like 15 years before he comes back and takes a, you know a completely different angle on Khan. So I'm kind of like tilting towards Khan. What are you thinking? Are you thinking more Worf? 
Yes. And, and so why don't you know I've always been honest when we go to the computer. Right. <laughs> because you've won way more times than I have. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm tilting towards Worf. It was just it it gave him so much more depth and then everything we got from Worf from there on after, it, it, it adds even more to Way of the Warrior. Whereas I mean that is the end of the road for Khan. So Cam mm-hmm. Odd or even numbers, and I will defer to the computer here. Well, Star Trek Two is an even number, so let's go even. Okay, Cam. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the number is literally two. <laughs> to be fair, he did get the movie named after him. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, it's not called it, the Way of Worf, <laughs> or the Way of the Warfier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Cam, let me go through the list then. Let me go through the. You know for a fact I'm super honest with the computer uh, all these years because I lose every single time. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, number ten, Ro Laren. Number nine, Sarek. Number eight, Janeway. Number seven, Tasha Yar. Number six, we have Commander Riker, or I should say uh, Captain Riker at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Number five, Deanna Troy. Number four, Spock. Number three, Scotty. Number two, Worf. And number one, Khan. Yes. I think this is a pretty solid list. I'm sure people will have some gripes here or there, but you can't really argue that we've left off many, like, ultra, ultra deserving ones. Well, Paul Wesley as uh, Captain Kirk, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a ton of fun. There's a few of the ones that are recast that I didn't really mention, but they are great. I do love... The um, Sam Kirk we've gotten now, and also the uh, Zephram Cochran, you know, bringing him back as James Cromwell from the earlier Glenn Corbett. Uh, genius. Masterstroke. Um, yeah, and look, even, <laughs> what about even just somebody like, I don't know, like uh, Dr. Mabenga or Nurse Chapel. Like, you've yeah. got really good, solid, like, performers. And, you know, I, I, like, let's not throw shade to Anson Mount and Ethan Peck, who, what... Mm-hmm incredibly tough jobs to take on and i think they're doing them so well because like like you've you got to follow up sean kenny in the wheelchair and then bruce <laughs> <laughs> bruce greenwood does a really good job in 2009 and into darkness and i, I think anson mount he he does his own thing and i he, he is kind of he's the literal opposite of paul wesley in which uh he is a charisma anchor here for strange new worlds he really is. And I mean, when you look at Bruce Greenwood's performance in 2009, there was a real sense of like, oh my God, this is the first time I genuinely care about Pike. Like this character really matters in his two appearances in the Kelvinverse. And so when they announced, okay, we're going to have Pike on Discovery, I was like, oh, how do you improve upon that? And they did. I think Edson Mack yeah. is absolutely incredible. And I think actually Ethan Peck is an improvement as well. I like him more than Zach Quinto at this point. So Strange New Worlds, I, that's why I guess I'm, maybe we are being mean and poking fun at like the Paul Wesley Kirk, but I think it's because the show has hit such a high bar of excellence for recasting these classic roles that I'm more like confused by this one. Okay. So, Cam, next week, <laughs> we are going to be finally tackling uh, Strange New World Season 1 in our rewatch. We got our 4K discs. Mine finally arrived without the steel book being bent on one corner, <laughs> which is nice. So I, I am three episodes into my journey. 
I'll have all of them done by the time we record next week, plus a lot of special features. Uh, 100 minutes, according to the uh, the uh, packaging. Uh, plus, um, I'll try to do as many commentaries as I can. I think I can squeeze them all in. I actually like commentaries as long as you've got like a really good person behind them. Don't ever listen to a Coen Brothers commentary. I think they only ever did The Man Who Wasn't There. And it was yeah. just the two of them and Billy Bob Thornton describing what was on screen. It was brutal. Yeah. Um, I know Joss Whedon is canceled, but that man has always delivered the best uh, commentaries in the world. So I'm curious to see how these commentaries stack up. Yeah, I've always said the Evil Dead 2 commentary is the cure for <laughs> any unhappiness in the world. <laughs> tune that tune that one in and you'll just laugh for 90 minutes straight. It is an absolute joy. And there are others that are... Uh, just incredibly informative but don't turn on some of those like uh, uh some of those like star wars ones and stuff boy are they dry or uh, terminator 2 with uh <laughs> arnold schwarzenegger they paid him two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to watch that movie and say yeah look at that oh that was a tough day of shooting yeah one I need to listen to is some of the kurt russell um john carpenter ones i've heard they are absolutely amazing okay that sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, like they really are like just old friends joking around for, you know, 100 minutes. So I've heard that's great. I've also never heard the uh, legendary Armageddon one with Ben Affleck. I'll say I've listened uh, from seasons three through nine of The Simpsons, of like uh, The Simpsons, mm-hmm. like all the commentaries that were done. There was this amazing one where like Conan O'Brien was there with... Uh, like there were, he was recording like New York, and then Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, two of the other writers, they're recording in Los Angeles. And Conan O'Brien remarked, "Was like, haven't seen you guys in like eleven years, but now this is how we're interacting." And they're just joking back and forth. And at the very end, Conan O'Brien said to them, "Well, keep in touch." And I was just like <laughs> cracking up at like that like uh, remark there. So I don't know. There, there's so many good commentaries like. Um, back in the heyday of commentaries um but uh it's kind of like commentaries don't you don't really get them anymore in uh physical releases no a lot of the time they make them like uh itunes exclusives and stuff and it's like oh okay great um no i remember actually even though the you mentioned the simpsons the season like one uh commentaries are actually really fun too where they're just like ridiculing like weird looking <laughs> background characters and stuff yeah <laughs> There's like there's like blue people in the background, like misshapen blue people standing in the background, and they're just like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> it was a different time. It was indeed. It was indeed. So, uh, yeah, you set us up there for what we're doing next week, and of course, you know, you can leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Cam Viazin Vedic Baral for Star Trek Legacy Smith. <laughs> You can find me at Reporton, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in Neelix. He's going to be the star of Star Trek Prodigy Season 2. I heard it uh, through the grapevine. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Wesley Crusher in the Season 2 finale of Star Trek Picard. (laughs) Stop. Okay. (laughs) 